Blog Talk Radio.
Skies to skies broadcasting lies to billions of people. Cameras on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. Poker Face for the intro music. 
that uh, the music you heard uh, at the beginning of the show is called Control. And that's by Poker Face. And uh, Paul and the rest of the guys at Poker Face can be reached at PokerFace.com. And they've got a lot of great music there. It's uh, uh, it's their own brand of uh, of music, and I'm not going to try and pigeonhole it by calling it uh, uh, libertarian revolution rock or anything like that, because just like everybody else in the world, there's really no good name for the guys at uh, at Poker Face other than musicians. And uh, they do a great job, and we appreciate them letting us use the song for our intro music. And we'll probably, at some point uh, over the next uh, couple of months, we'll probably ask uh, Paul and the guys to come on, come back on the show. They were on a while back. Come back on the show and and talk to us about what they've been doing this year. <clears throat> uh, we also like to remind you guys that if you need some handmade soap, uh, which everybody does for whatever you're going to use it for, washing your body, I believe they make a. Uh, uh, a shaving soap now, and uh, they are Appleseed instructors and shoot bosses, and uh, every penny you send them is undoubtedly going to go into their uh, gas tanks for their uh, for fuel to get them to their next shoot. So uh, uh, Blue Feather and Tyler's Glock, you can uh, find their soap making company by going to uh, Googling uh, Blue Feather Soap. All right? <clears throat> I'll take you to their site. Uh, and I'll tell you that I, I used the soap. I ended up, I think, with six or seven bars of it uh, because I I begged uh, a bar for each of my family members before I left. And uh, uh, Blue Feather was very kind in, in giving me that. She also, uh, Blue Feather and Tyler's Clock let, us, uh, let me stay at their home <clears throat> when I was running an IBC there. And they're just, they're just good folks, all right? Everybody in Appleseed, is a good person, all right? Or they uh, they, they want to be. And uh, Blue Feather's House Clock are two great folks. And I met a, a lot of great folks there when I was there uh, for the shoot uh, for the uh, IBC weather in New Mexico. And uh, uh, and so you can reach them at uh, Blue Feather. Uh, let me see if uh, co-host here has put that in there. Blue Feather dot bizhosting.com, right? Uh, and uh, Julia at Desert Eagle Farms has uh, uh, storable food that you can get from him. He also has a product called the Mill Dot Master, which is kind of like a uh, a shooting uh, slide rule, and it is very good at helping you to determine range and uh, even range, uh, ranging, shooting uphill and downhill. Uh, very simple. Very inexpensive, and uh, you can get that uh, from Jimmy. And you can get it at Jimmy at HDC-NM.com. Jimmy at HDC-NM.com, all right? And you get the food. Jimmy's uh, a long-term food at uh, Desert Eagle Farms. If you Google Desert Eagle Farms, you'll get... Uh, You'll get his, and then if, if anybody else wants to, uh, if anybody else would like to uh, to put in a pro, put in a, uh, a pitch for something that they're doing, let me add that we're not uh, we're not getting any money for this blog talk, so I'm not I'm not holding back on you guys. I'm just uh, uh, putting out the info to our folks for free. 
And I'd like to thank, uh, here in Texas, I would like to thank uh, several folks on the crew here. I'd like to thank Bill Cronk, uh, who is a reliable instructor and just a dang fine guy. And uh, whenever I put out the call for supplies and stuff like that or we need something, Bill is one of the guys that always uh, goes the extra mile. You know, in helping to uh, helping to do that, and I realized that uh, over the last couple of days, I've been <clears throat> working in the storage unit uh, at the range, and uh, and it was completely filled up. And I'm trying to get some more space, and I'm trying to think of how did this thing, how did this thing get so filled up? And uh, it was because uh, because Bill, uh, whenever I put out a call for cardboard and stuff, Bill took it to heart, and he. He bought cardboard, and he comes and he does events, and he helps out. Uh, and he's uh, one of these staff members at uh, uh, Battle Road USA. So I really appreciate Bill, and uh, I appreciate uh, uh, Charles Leeming, Chuck Leeming, uh, Red Dot on the forum. He is a he's another great guy. He does a great job. He uh, he usually does a two hundred percent on his uh, on his uh, shooting uh, weekends. I know that uh, I believe the first the first six months after he got his red hat, I think he did twenty some shoots. Uh, that was just in. Uh, the first six months, and uh, he does a great job here in Texas of helping us to run the shoots, and uh, we've lost, uh, in Texas, we've lost quite a few instructors to, to various things. None of them uh, none of them got mad at the program or stomped off or anything like that, but there have been various things, various things in life that have stopped them, uh, illnesses or family things and stuff like that. And <clears throat> and so we've had uh, and we've had a real strain in making sure that all the all the shoots are covered. But but Chuck goes a long way to uh, toward doing that. And I would like to thank uh, Sleepy Joe and Steve Raby. Uh, these are two guys who uh, take care of the uh, college station uh, location, and uh, both of those guys are are great guys. And uh, and Sleepy Joe has always done a great job of uh, running events there, college station, and really anywhere he's needed. And he's a great instructor. And uh, uh, and I really appreciate the the Texas instructor crew. All right, uh, if you uh, if you have somebody that you would like to thank, then we will be most certainly be glad to take your calls at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And I'd also like to thank uh, uh, Kirby Foster, Scuzzy on the phone. Kirby does. Uh, a ton of the uh, the tech work on the forum, and uh, he's a tireless worker, 
and a great guy. Uh, he's come over and helped uh, uh, me with work here. He's helped with the Battle Road work, and he's a good guy, and uh, I'm very glad to call him my friend. And then uh, uh, Kirk Wheeler. Kirk is uh, the graphics guy. He does the graphics and design. If, there's, if something has been designed for Appleseed, uh, a, a banner or a billboard or or some kind of thing that uh, that needs an artistic touch to it, I can always guarantee that somewhere in the fine print down they're going to find uh, Kirk Wheeler's name because he does uh, he does it almost effortlessly and he does a great job for the program. He does a great he's a, he's just a great guy too, a really great guy. He's got a great family. I enjoy uh, sharing his company. And uh, and I really appreciate uh, the stuff that uh, he has done, not just for uh, for Appleseed, but he's helped out with the Battle Road too. And uh, he's just a great guy. So uh, if you'd like to call in and thank any of your crew, then you can call in at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. We'll take some calls. You know, look who's here. Uh, Kirk Wheeler is right here, just as I mentioned his name. He's, I bet he's calling in to thank me for uh, for uh, for heaping so much praise on him. Kirk, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thanks, Cal. Well, you, you probably need to spread some of that love around because there's a whole promo team and there's uh, there's a lot of people doing stuff. So, you know, don't point it all my direction. Uh, SPQR can... Uh, I didn't. I, I, was, I was careful only to give you... Uh, the amount of praise that was needed, so, and and I do appreciate what you do, Kirk. I really do, and I really enjoy your company. Like I said, uh, as a friend, I look forward to seeing you again as soon as you can get back down this way. Well, what do you got for us uh, this evening? Well, I was just going to give you a, a quick little uh, AAR on the bit we had last weekend up here in Dallas Fort Worth. <clears throat> you know, it's getting that time of year where everybody's getting busy, getting ready for school and everything, and so we were. You know, the event's filling up. I signed up to shoot Bossett, and, man, there's a lot of people busy. So it turns out it was me and four IITs, uh, one IIT2 and three IIT zeros. But it sounds like that might be a concerning uh, place to be as a shoot boss, but it really wasn't that big of a deal because we just had an IBC most of these folks have gone to the IBC, so we get to the event. Not only do they do most of the instruction, they tell most of the history as well. So I just want to give out to give a shout out to Tim Beatty who progressed to IIT three this weekend. David Stitzline moved up to IIT one. Bridget Campanone, I'm going to mess up her name. Bravo Charlie, let's just call her that because that's her forum handle. She did a great job, and uh, Jeremy Chapman as well came out on Sunday and helped us. So, anyway, I just wanted to say thanks to those folks, and they did a great job. I knew they would. I mean, we just did the IBC. That stuff is uh, good stuff. Did you so put the other names in the uh, uh, AER on the forum? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I want to – I'd like to send them a note and tell them thanks, too. You know, I, I'll tell you right now that I would uh, prefer to have 
uh, one uh, IIT one or two, and then three or four IIT zeros. I love I love those kind of sheets because <clears throat> the uh, the new folks are even though they're pretty raw, they are, they're usually really uh, uh, they're really motivated. They're trying to learn, and I love. Uh, Giving them a chance to do demos and uh, and listening to the way they do it because when you listen to somebody do it raw, then uh, there's a good chance you're going to get to learn something because uh, because they haven't they haven't picked it up from some from someone else yet usually and they're doing their own uh, brand new uh, demonstration instruction. Section and, and I really enjoy working with the the brand new uh, IITs. And usually they're like I said, they're usually really motivated. They're ready to jump in. They may be hesitant to teach something, but uh, I always tell them, you know, just go ahead, just jump in. I'll, I'll stand right beside you. And if you get stuck or something like that, you just give me a look over at me, and I'll I can tell you know I'll, I'll ease you over any rough spots you get, and no problem, you'll get it. And uh, and I really enjoy uh, working with them. And you said they all did a great job, right? Yeah, well, I mean, we Mark Mark drove up from Houston to run the IBT. Steve Raby came up. Thanks to both of those guys for doing that. And I mean, all the you know all the positions, steady hold factors, six steps, all that stuff. I mean, they had it nailed. I mean, it it wasn't it wasn't raw. It was they had it down because we'd gone over and over and over it. A few weeks ago, so they they pretty much hit it right out of the park. Well, that is excellent. When will they do their? Uh, did you get them to at the IBC? Did you get them to sign up for uh, uh, for several of the upcoming events? Well, they they came out and did this one, and it was pretty cool because you know they'd done the they'd done their first gab at telling a strike at the IBC, so, you know, when we were getting ready for the event, I was like, all right, who's doing number three? Who's doing number two? And, you know, sort of reluctantly over the Internet, you see a hand start coming up. And <laughs> Well, at least they're putting their hands up, you know, and you're not having to, uh, you know, I would say somebody, somebody raise their hands or I'm just going to start, uh, I'm going to start selecting you. Well, we're going to talk about some of that tonight. We're going to talk about uh, about uh, telling the story and about uh, how to develop your story, how you yourself develop your story as an instructor, and how to help your, your new IITs uh, develop their stories. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss some of that a little bit later. Anybody else that you want to thank? I'd like to thank uh, Mark and Steve for for going up there and teaching IBC. I appreciate uh <clears throat> I appreciate both of them heading up there. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, I I just I just ran in the door from uh uh cleaning up. I've been working in the the storage container and uh, it's it's only a balmy uh, hundred and something outside and then you get inside that all steel Storage container, and it's like a like a sauna, you know, like a dry sauna, uh, but without the cedar. 
and instead this was more like a dry sauna with uh, rat urine and uh, yeah, black it uh, soaked every bit of liquid out of me and I'm having to. I'm, I'm. I'm glad that you called because it gives me a chance to to gulp uh, glasses of water while you're talking. <laughs> well, that was kind of all I had, uh, Scout. Uh, you know, I think most of these folks too are signed up to come to the Instructor KD Day uh, down at your place. Uh, okay, are you coming? So. Oh heck yeah, I'm coming. With the okay. M1. Uh, and I'll I'll announce that uh, right now. And that is, we're having a, an instructor shoot, uh, uh, a one-day instructor shoot. It will be uh, actual distance here in Davila. And I believe it that uh, uh, Floyd is capped it at 15. If we get more than that, we don't, I don't see why we can't work some more in. Uh, the only problem that I see is that uh, when you get up to 400 meters and you're looking down there and you have the targets uh all pushed together, you know, because uh, you need a good, uh, uh, you need a good uh, four feet of uh, line for each shooter, and then you put those targets in there, and you uh, they all start melding together. So uh, we try to cap it at 15. But if we get some more folks, we'll, we'll talk to them. Uh, give me a call. We'll talk to you about working it in. That will be the uh, that's the 17th and 18th, right? I think it's the 15th, just a one-day deal. Yeah, on uh, the 17th or 18th. Well, you all have to look at that. So one of you guys can look at it. See, uh, the middle of uh, of September, and uh, it's a Saturday, one day, uh, a one-day thing. Floyd wanted to have it so that folks could uh, come to the event, get out of their cars, do the shooting and then uh, close it down by about 4.30 or so so you can get back in your vehicle and be back home. Even if you're in uh, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can be back in home, uh, back in your pajamas on the couch by 7.30 or 8 o'clock. So if you would like to attend, uh, you can find it at Eventbrite, uh, and you guys can sign up for that. Now, I'll tell you another thing is that uh, uh, – with everybody with everybody uh, coming and with us being here anyway, uh, we're scheduling a Battle Road USA uh, combat shotgun course for Sunday. So if you want to hang around for Sunday and go through the combat shotgun course, then, uh, then you're welcome to do so. You can go to BattleRoadUSA.com. And you can sign up for it there. You can, we've got the Eventbrite page for Battle Road there, and you can pre-register. And I think we're capping it off, too, at around uh, 14 or 15 shooters. So be sure, if you're planning on going, be sure and go to Eventbrite and, uh, and pre-register for it because uh, because this is going to be a one-day thing only. And, uh, and Mark... <laughs> Being uh, uh, a, a sheriff's deputy, uh, Mark Martinez, uh, he has <laughs> he gets all of the free training you want, and I believe, if I'm not wrong, I believe he just finished up with his either fifth or sixth uh, combat shotgun course in the last six weeks. So he is refreshed and ready to go. 
So uh, all the, you can get all the details at battleroadusa.com. I think the uh, uh, the round count and uh, stuff like that. But if you'd like to come, that'll be uh, the Sunday after the the uh, uh, actual distance shoot. Okay, Kirk, you talk for a second. All right, what do you want to know about? Well, uh, tell us oh, what I you got going as far as the uh, uh, the latest uh, stuff that you're designing for Appleseed. Because I know you've always yeah. got something you're working up. What have you? What's the, the latest thing you've done? Have you been doing some uh, any more of the uh, billboards? No, actually, I haven't. I've been a little bit out of pocket on. Uh, on what's going on, so really, I'm not sure what's, All right. uh, what's next on that front. Uh, okay, hold on just a second. We've got, uh, the date is Sunday, September 16th, so that means that the actual distance, the instructor's actual distance shoots is Saturday the 15th, and uh, the uh, combat shotgun course <clears throat> is going to be Sunday, September 16th. 16th, and uh, and this is going to uh, this is going to start at 8:30 a.m. and then uh, and it's going to run most of the day. And uh, we've got uh, our training hallways uh, set up there. Uh, I think we've got some photos of it on the website. Uh, but you'll learn uh, tactical and uh, combat reloads. Uh, the best uh, stances to use when shooting, uh, you know, so you can control your recoil and able to uh, to bring on uh, follow-up shots, uh, maneuvering uh, with your shotgun in tight spaces, weapon retention, you know, how to retain your uh, your firearm if you have to go uh, hand-to-hand with somebody uh, during the shotgun with slugs at 50 yards. Uh, you'll need 300 rounds of uh, bird shot. And that's, uh, you can use anything, any of these seven to nine shot. Uh, 15 rounds of double lot buckshot, 15 slugs. And uh, the course cost is 180 bucks. And uh, this is a deal. And like I said, uh, Mr. Martinez has uh, just finished up, uh, uh, he just finished up, uh, I believe, either five or six of the uh, combat and fighting shotgun courses so he will be fresh and ready to go and uh, and we made it real fun uh, we got uh, a lot of steel targets and uh, you'll be doing a lot of stuff that it will help you uh, it will help you be more confident with your shotgun a lot of folks keep shotguns in their home <clears throat> uh, for home defense and uh, and they're good for that they're, they are really good for that because you can if you're if you're living in a densely populated populated area like in an apartment or in a in a tight neighborhood or something like that. Uh, even a handgun round can travel a lot farther than you would like for it to. So a lot of folks use uh, shotguns, and I'm telling you that uh, I was watching a show the other day, and the FBI I guess had uh, had done these statistics for shotgun shootings, and they said that. Uh, that these shotguns uh, had a 95% fatality uh, rate in shootings with shotguns. So 
Uh, if you can't, if you're living in a densely uh, populated area, then sometimes a shotgun is the best thing for you to use. A shotgun using uh, uh, using something even less than double odd buck, something like uh, four buck or even four shot uh, in your home. Somebody catches a round of that and. And usually that's the end of the story. And usually the uh, the number four or four buck or something like that. Usually that won't it, it won't uh, travel uh, a lot farther out of your home or anything like that. So a lot of people uh, are interested in using their shotgun. And you come through a course like this, and we'll we'll give you the uh, the skills and techniques for you to be a lot more confident in your shotgun use. Because weapon retention is uh, is something that's pretty serious. If you're in your home and you are uh, and it's dark and at night and uh, and you've got to be careful because maybe there's other people in your home and stuff like that, so you're not so ready to to pull the trigger as you might be in daylight outside or something, and somebody can grab a hold of that uh, of that shotgun while you have it, then you've got to be able to you've got to be able to know how to retain control of the shotgun and uh, then be able to disengage or dis uh, or put down your uh, put down your opponent and then uh, and then do whatever you need to do next <clears throat> all right uh do you got anything else uh Kirk and the Kirk's name is spit sticker on the form and listen the Kirk is a graphics designer by trade, and uh, he does a fantastic job. And uh, last time I saw him, uh, you know, he he doesn't do such a good job. He was he was driving like a uh, a bronze plated uh, uh, Cadillac Hummer, uh, and uh, he was just waiting for the silver one uh, to be shipped in. So if you have any uh, any graphics. Uh, projects that you need done, not free ones. He may give you some advice on one, but if you have, if you have something you need designed or something like that, then uh, I would advise you to contact uh, Kirk Spit with Spitsticker on the forum because he is a, he's a fantastic uh, uh, graphic artist and he'll do a great job for you. Uh, how's all your family doing, Kirk? Yeah, we're doing good. Getting, everybody's getting ready to uh, go back to school and all that, so we're doing good. Well, great. Tell everybody I said hey, and I look forward to seeing you guys again. Uh, I guess we'll need to we need to have another uh, Texas instructors gathering. I know that we usually we're having them in the dead of summer, but uh, maybe we can have one uh, when it cools down this year. Maybe we can have one in uh, uh, maybe at the beginning of December or something like that. That sounds good to me. It was definitely hot. It was uh, 108 at our event last week. Jeez. Well, like I said, it, it was it was about that here today, and then working in the uh, in the all steel building made it even that much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I well, you take care of yourself, brother. All right. And uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. See you. All right. Uh, area code 740-503. You're on the air. 
seven four zero five zero three. If you don't want to talk to him, or you don't, you don't have to hang up or anything. We'll just. Uh, we'll you hear just, me? Uh, yeah, can you hear me now? Well, uh, somehow I got online here. I certainly didn't mean to uh, be in uh, the rotation for call. Uh, I'm just listening in, but uh, go ahead. Disregard me. Okay. Well, well, who is this? Uh, this is Cutter. Okay. Are you a uh, an Appleseed instructor? Uh, I'm a Appleseed participant. Oh, really? Where are you at? Uh, Lancaster, Ohio. Lancaster, Ohio. How are the uh, how are the shoots going in Ohio this year? Have, have, well, you, you, have you been to an event this year? I haven't been to an event this year. Um, I, I didn't realize I was even on on, on the rotation to, to to be heard. I, I apologize to everyone who's listening. Uh, oh, that's all right. That's all right. We we didn't listen and see what you got to say. Well, yeah, where did my, you go to your last apple seed? New Philadelphia, Ohio. Wow. The, well, and, you know uh, what? That's not that. That's not that far away. No, you know, it's 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 like a little bit more than an hour and twenty minutes, something like that, for us. But we really had a good time. My son who was 12 at the time, and I went up there and shot. He actually shot better than I did. and uh, But he had the advantage of using a 22 rifle with a scope. So we really had a good time. In fact, I was talking about that today with my boss, who was obviously a pro-gun person to even be able to breach this type of topic. And uh, we, had a, we had a real good discussion about that. And he, wants, and he lives in Texas, and I was uh, encouraging him to get involved in Appleseed down in there in uh, Wichita Falls, area and uh, wanted him to take his grandson out there and uh, get involved in that because they're certainly uh, like-minded, you know, towards uh, uh, firearms and freedom and those sorts of issues. And uh, we were, we was hoping that to get him involved in that and uh, bring kids up with uh, good uh, principles and, uh, you know, both for love of country and, uh, you know, safe operating procedures when handling firearms. Um, I'm just a firm believer in getting, getting it done Absolutely. early. Absolutely. Well, if he if he needs to uh, if he wants to find out uh, where one is or how to get to one or or anything like that, uh, you can tell him to give me a call and I'll be glad to send him in the right direction or get him to uh, uh, to get us set up and we'll take uh, an apple seat to him in Wichita Falls. I, I think you would have a, a good time out there. Uh, as everybody knows, it's really warm out there right now, so maybe maybe a fall event would be better better for everybody. Oh, uh, you know, we're used to the heat, so we get out there in, in the heat, and, you know, we we survive. I'm getting ready to put in some overhead cover here at the Davila Range, and uh, I wanted to start on it earlier this year, but the drought just... Uh, we had record rains, and then all of a sudden, bang! There was a drought, and uh, and the ground was so hard that there was no way for me to drill a hole. So I haven't put the overhead cover up. I'm going to wait till we get some uh, enough rain for me to be able to drill some holes out. But as soon as we do, I'll start on the overhead cover. So we should have overhead cover for uh, for Davila. I'd say within the coming next, the next coming uh, five or six months. Uh, maybe by Christmas time we'll have overhead cover. But if, like I said, if you want to, if you want to put him in touch with me, uh, I'll be glad to uh, help vector him toward a, a shoot. You got a pen or a, some paper handy? 
Uh, I, I really don't. Not at this time. I was just hoping to uh, kind of relax this evening and dial in and hear you guys tonight. And uh, again, I apologize for for being in the in, in the, the rotation oh, to be on. No, no apology necessary. I've I've enjoyed speaking with you. Well, listen. He can find my uh, he can find me uh, on uh, email. Just email me uh, through the uh, state of Texas, and uh, and I'll be glad to point him in a direction to get he and his uh, grandkids to an event. And uh, okay. thank you for calling in. You don't have to hang up. I'm just going to put you back uh, into the listening mode, and you can kick back and uh, hopefully enjoy the rest of the show. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, anytime you guys, if you just want to listen or something, and uh, you are, uh, and you call up the show, it's no problem. Uh, just follow the the instructions. There's some, I believe, there's some pre-recorded instructions, and then. Uh, uh, Sam is going to open your mic, open the mic, and it's just you and him. You're not on the air. He opens the mic, and you're off. You're off at the air, and he'll just ask you uh, what your question is, or if you're just listening, etc. So you can talk to him, and it won't be on. You won't be on the air. You can talk to him and let him know, and then he'll put it into the details on the switchboard. So when I look at your number and your name, it'll just say, you know, just listening or it has a question about so and so, whatever like whatever it is like that. So when Sam asks you, when you hear somebody on the on the line, you'll be you'll be listening to the show, uh, to your phone. But then you'll hear somebody cut in and say, uh, hey, you know, what do you want to talk about or whatever? And that's Sam asking you if you have a question or if you're just uh listening, et cetera. So be sure and answer it. All right. Uh, oh, pardon me, just a second. I've got a glass and some ice in it, and uh, I've just about polished off uh, uh, just about polished off a gallon of water, Wally, since the show started. Okay. Then yeah, we'll still take your calls. So if you want to call in to uh, uh, give an AAR or thank one of your local crew or let us know about an upcoming event or about uh, some kind of commercial venture you're running, then you can give us a call at 347-308-8790. And, uh, and Sam will let me know <clears throat> that, uh, that I've got a call waiting in the queue. All right? So let's get to the let's get to the show. <clears throat> And let's start. Uh, let's start uh, with this evening's subject. And before we get started, let me tell you again too that uh, if there's something that you guys would like to hear, uh, some subject that you would like to have to discuss, uh, somebody that you would like to uh, to hear on the program, then send me an email or post it in the Appleseed Radio. Uh, board on the forum something and I'll be glad I'll do my best to uh to get whoever you'd like to to see on if you have somebody that uh, has some uh that has some subject that uh that they would like to discuss uh, on the air with the apple seed folks then please let me know and uh, I'll do my best to to try and get to get them on the air and uh, 
we've we've done a really good job as far as uh, the number of listeners for the show. We're consistently in the the uh, first slot uh, for our category uh, on the on Blog Talk, and that is uh, uh, conservative politics. And then the only reason is we're there is because there wasn't a, a whole lot of other categories. I mean, uh, there's a, a ton of uh, supernatural, uh, you know, ghosts and aliens and uh, stuff like that and physical fitness and, I don't know, all kinds of stuff like that. But there wasn't really uh, very many things that would describe what we're what we talk about. The very the closest one was politics conservative, uh, which... We don't discuss politics on the show, but uh, hopefully those are those are usually the people that that we try and reach. But that doesn't mean that we are that everybody here is a conservative or a Republican or anything like that. Apple seed belongs to everybody. If you're a Democrat. If you're a liberal, uh, if you're a libertarian or a conservative or a Republican or 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 any uh, person out there, Appleseed belongs to you. And uh, we're not, we don't ever try at uh, at events, uh, shooting events or anything like that. We don't ever talk politics. We don't. Uh, uh, nobody's going to rag on you if you stand up and you wave your hands in the air and you say, "I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal Democrat." Everybody's just going to smile, and and you'll get back to shooting because Appleseed isn't about politics. Appleseed is about teaching you to shoot. It's about passing on uh, a skill that is in our heritage. It's about uh, making folks understand that the, the nation didn't get here. It didn't just pop out of nowhere uh, to what it is today. You didn't just uh, you just those cars that you have and the homes and, and the jobs. All of that didn't just pop out of the thin air. Uh, and I, and I'm not going to tell you that 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 you didn't do it on your own either. I'm just going to say that uh, that there were folks who came before you. There were folks uh, 235 years ago that stood together uh, in ranks. Uh, in order, in order to defend their rights, their freedom, their liberty, and there's an unbroken line of patriots between them and you. There's the same blood that was flowing in those patriots is flowing in your veins today. So, Appleseed belongs to everyone. As you looked at the folks that made up. At the founding fathers, at the patriots who stood together in ranks, you will find everybody from uh, the far left to the far right. They all stood together. Uh, folks that today we would call liberals and Democrats and religious fanatics to uh, to atheists. Everybody stood together because the cause was bigger. Their united cause was bigger than their own personal beliefs. And that's the way it should be. And that's the way we want it run today. And uh, no matter what your political persuasion is, 
you're going to be welcomed at an apple seat. <clears throat> All right, so getting to the getting to the uh, the topic for tonight, we're going to start off with uh, we discussed last week part five of uh, uh, ball and dummy and uh, dry firing, and I hope that you. Uh, I hope that you took that to heart. I hope that between last Thursday night and tonight that you guys got in uh, between uh, two and 500 rounds of dry firing. Because like I told you last week, that uh, every 100 rounds you dry fire is guaranteed to bring uh, your scores up uh, on the AQT by two to three points. Right? So if you dry fired 500 rounds uh, between uh, last Thursday and tonight, then you just increased your uh, AQT score uh, by 10 to 15 points. And shooting the AQT isn't about points, but the AQT is a is a tool that we use. to uh, to determine how well you're receiving the the instruction. All right. So uh, we'll start the discussion tonight with the the rifleman's bubble. Uh, the rifleman's bubble, and the way I sometimes describe it, uh, if I've got a good line of uh, of old timers on the line with me is uh, if you remember Maxwell Smart, you remember the show Get Smart. I remember he goes into the telephone booth and picks up the phone and, and starts dialing. I don't remember if he picked up the phone or if he took off his shoe and used his shoe phone, but uh, it it uh, took him down like in an elevator. Took him down. Uh, into the the next layer of the uh, uh, was it control? Yeah, it was control. There was control and chaos. Took him down to the next layer of security in the control complex, and then he started walking down the hall. And as he's walking down the hall, you see the doors closing behind him until he gets to the headquarters. And then he's in there, and he has five or six. Huge steel doors closed behind it. Well, that's what you're doing with the rifleman's bubble. And uh, you usually, I do it, I start shutting it down whenever they give the command to uh, your prep period has begun. <clears throat> I try and run it uh, through the whole day, you know, like on down one or two levels. But certainly whenever the, uh, the preparation period has begun, once that command has been given, then I'm starting to close off even further. I'm closing off uh, around me. I'm, I'm closing uh, down uh, the acceptance of external stimuli, and I'm shutting everything down until there is just myself, my rifle, and the target, because those are the only things that I need inside my bubble during this uh, phase of the shooting. 
Now, always, it can, the bubble can always be penetrated by the safety commands. If there's a ceasefire uh, or any kind of a safety issue, that will always pierce through the bubble. But nothing else gets through, right? If it's hot, I've closed off the uh, uh, the acceptance of any external stimuli such as heat. I'm not paying attention to the heat anymore. I'm not thinking about uh, about the bank or about uh, the bills that are coming in. Uh, I'm not thinking about uh, the last course of fire or about how uh, my rifle jammed or anything uh, whatsoever that is not uh, within my, the grouping of myself, my rifle, and the target. Those are the only things that I'm thinking of. And I usually tell it uh, to the students, I'll tell them that uh, once you're inside your bubble, nothing can get through. Uh, if you have to use the bathroom, it doesn't matter. You're not thinking about that. If you're hungry, it's you're not thinking about that. If you're hot, you're not thinking about that. If if the person beside you has fired off uh, uh, a round of 308 and the brass sails through the air and it sticks to your neck and it's sizzling, it's sitting there sizzling and, and, and your hair catches on fire and the people around you are screaming in terror, to you it means nothing because it is not part of you, your rifle, and the target. To you, it means nothing. The only thing that matters in your life at that point is the shot you're about to take. If you're in the middle of the course of fire and you fire off a shot and you can see it went way wild, uh, high left, low right, you're not going to grit your teeth. You're not going to vocally or mentally shout expletives about that shot because guess what? There is not a thing in the world you can do about that shot. It's already history. None of the rounds you have fired previous to the round you're about to fire have any meaning whatsoever. There is nothing that can ever be done to change them. The only thing that matters to you right now, right at this point, is the round you're about fire. Now, this takes this takes a good deal of concentration because because it's usually not uh, it's not the first it's not easy I'm plugging my computer back in I managed to yank it out of the wall and it's telling me it's getting ready to go off uh, it's uh, it's a bit like like calling the shot. You have to practice in order to call the shot. You've got to practice to do that. Well, it's the same thing with the rifleman's bubble. You have to practice, and you know it's it's kind of like one of those, it's like one of those Zen things where you've got to practice shutting everything down and and bringing your focus down, down, down to where you're not, you're not thinking about anything else. Throughout the day, 
uh, our minds are usually very active, and especially a lot of uh, a lot of people that show up at Apple C that are like Type A personalities, and they're they're thinking about everything in the world uh, and what they can do next, and how they can better prepare this, and what they can do, uh, what they just did, uh, how they didn't like uh, their last uh, HUT, or they didn't like their last shot, or or they feel like they were doing something wrong and it's aggravating them. All of that is like a big timber fall, like a big uh, log jam standing between you and the shot you're about to fire. You need to clear it out. You need to hack it out, burn it out, nuke a hole through it. So that once you're in your prep period, you start your breathing. And the way I do it is I I use my breathing uh, to get me started on it. If you take, uh, this is a a breathing technique that uh, has been around for quite a while, but a lot of the military and law enforcement stuff like that use it. And uh, if during your prep period, you take your your, uh, breath in on a five count, you take the breath in. When you take the, when the breath is fully in, you hold it for a five count. Then you exhale on a five count. And then you breathe in on a five count. You hold it for a five count. And you exhale on a, count, a five count. Now you do this two to three times and you'll be amazed at how the rest of the world around you starts to slow down and kind of go into a blur. And in your mind, you're thinking about the shot you're about to take. That's the only thing that matters to you at this point is the shot you're about to take. You're on the firing line. You're at the range. There's not a thing in the world that you can do about anything else that's going on in your life right at that moment, right? There is nothing you can do about your house needing to be painted or about your car needing to be fixed or about about your utilities bill or... Uh, about uh, your job applications or or anything like that. There's not a thing in the world you can do right at that moment to do anything about any of those. But what can you what can you affect? What can you do? You can make the shot, the shot that's coming up, the shot you're about to take. That's what you have some control over. And that's the only thing that you should be thinking about right then and right, that, right there at that moment. You should be breathing. You should be thinking about the shot, the shot you are about to take. And once you have, uh, once you put enough pressure on the trigger to cause the trigger to break and the round to fire, and you've frozen that moment in time and called the shot, and that round is history. You don't think about it anymore at all. All you're going to think about now is the next shot, the shot you're about to take. This is going to take some practice, all right? And it's much easier to practice it while you're dry firing than it is to practice it while you're at the range uh, or while you're at an apple seed event because you have a ton of stimuli there that you have to figure out what to do with. <clears throat> when you're dry firing at home, there's not. 
but you have to remember that there's going to be so that you have to remember that you're that you are slowly closing yourself off from the outside you're entering the rifleman's bubble where nothing matters in your life except the shot you're about to take when we talk about the rifleman's bubble that's what we're talking about that means uh, you shouldn't be jabbering away during your prep time. You shouldn't be jabbering away or uh, or fiddling around uh, or, or or anything that is not connected to the shot you're about to take. There should be nothing that you are doing that is not that is not immediately concerned with the shot you are about to take. You close yourself off, and then once the uh, the fire command has been given, you begin to execute the shot by the six steps. And for me, uh, while I'm in prep and even when I'm in the course of fire, like I said, I've got my I've got everything shut off except what I'm doing. When I'm thinking about the shot that's uh, about to occur, and then I'm visualizing. Uh, my sights lined up in the correct position, and I'm visualizing me causing the trigger to break and causing the rifle to fire, and for the hole being punched in exactly the position I want it to be on the target. I'm envisioning that, and then I'm linking up that vision to my physical actions as I'm uh, as I'm going through the the six steps to execute a shot, and I'm making my physical actions conform to what I'm visualizing. And I hope that's making sense to you. I'm visualizing the shot. I'm visualizing my sights lining up exactly where I want them to be. I'm in the visual I'm uh envisioning a very smooth uh controlled trigger pull and I'm envisioning a hole being punched in the target right where I want it to be. And then I'm making my physical actions line up with what I'm envisioning. It's probably isn't going to work uh, the first few times you're doing it. It's probably not going to work perfectly anyway. Nonetheless, this is what you should be working on. You're closing out everything except what it takes to make the shot. Silas! All right, we've got got the the pack in the house, and I've got my family driving back from, uh, from the orientation from school tonight. Uh... So, you guys are going to lock yourself in prep. You're going to start your prep with your breathing, with your controlled breathing. And you're going to begin shutting down the external stimuli and then envisioning you making the shot. And you're not going to allow anything other than uh, than any type of safety instructions from the from the line bus or the safety officers 
and you're going to envision the correct shot, the perfect shot, and you're going to make your physical actions link up with what you're envisioning, all right? That's what's going to happen during the rifleman's bubble. Uh, and listen, uh, if if, uh, if any of you guys uh, have anything you want to add, that's why we have the phone lines. Uh, the phone lines that you can call in and uh, add your two cents to the conversation tonight. And the number is 347-308-8790. And I can't tell you what it will take for you to be able to lock yourself down in the rifleman's bubble. I can only tell you how I do it, and I just did. that I start off with my breathing, I inhale on a five count, hold on a five count, exhale on a five count, and then repeat that. Now, this this breathing exercise is good not just for uh, for centering yourself uh, in the prep period for the AQT. It's this is like I said, this is taught to uh, to officers, to uh, combat folks law enforcement officers and combat folks and stuff like that. Uh, if you are getting ready to uh, to make a breach, then uh, this is probably the thing that you're going to want to do. You're going to want to center yourself by doing this controlled breathing technique. Uh, if you have just survived some type of, uh, of altercation, then I would really suggest that uh, you do the same thing. Take... Uh, just take the 30 seconds it takes to do this and run through this two times and see if you can't uh, can't calm yourself back down and ground yourself, right? Breathe in on a five count, hold on a five count, exhale on a five count, repeat. Do that twice and uh, and you will see that you very it, it very quickly helps you to eliminate. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's rushing at you from all different directions and to slow the rest of the stuff down and to begin to focus on what you need to do. All right, if you've got anything to add, 347-308-8790. And, uh, and uh, Sam will make sure that uh, let me know that you're on the line. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about is the Rifleman's Dance. The Rifleman's Dance. Now, this is in like a like a joyful jig. Whenever you get your uh, you shoot to rifleman standards, well, you can do that. Uh, the Rifleman's Dance is the interaction between you, the shooter, and the impact of your round down range. And we call it a dance because it is a partnership, and it's not a whole lot different than doing a dance, right? If you were dancing with a uh, with a young lady or a young man, and your right foot moves forward, then their left foot needs to move backwards. So you you have a you 
have a cause and effect. Your cause is your right foot moving forward, and the effect is their left foot moving backwards. So you're in a partnership with your rifle no differently than if that rifle were a dancing partner. So what you're going to do is you're going to fire the shot. You're going to set up your shot in, uh, uh, according to the six steps, and you're going to do your very best to set the shot up and to fire the shot correctly. <clears throat> and then when you fire the shot, you're going to observe the impact of the round downrange. Now, if you are uh, at the range and you're shooting, uh, and uh, the boss, Fred, has always been an advocate of the one round zero. There's no reason you can't do that. Uh, because uh, you know, if you're if you're executing the shot by the six steps, if you built the, the correct position, uh, you're using your sling correctly. You're executing the shot by the six steps, and uh, you've determined your natural point of aim, shifted it onto the target, and there should be no reason that you can't zero your rifle with one round. But uh, and let me let me interject this right now is that is that when I'm instructing, I never discuss the rifleman's dance until we're about to begin the AQTs because I don't want to I don't want to confuse folks because all the way up until we start shooting the AQTs, uh, I'm instructing folks never to never to alter their sight picture in order to correct the impact of a round downrange, right? <clears throat> that means that uh, if they are bringing their sight up to the bottom of the target in the 6 o'clock uh, hole position and they're firing around uh, right there and uh, and if it's 30 caliber, they can see it's low and left or if it's a rim fire and you can see you can see uh, the holes of the rim fire it takes a little while to uh to to learn to do it but you can certainly see them at uh, at 82 feet and you can certainly see if you have a scope anyway we're telling folks not to use Kentucky windage not to use holdover in order to alter the uh the location of the impact of the round down range <clears throat> this is supposed to be done uh, through sight correction. And certainly at the very beginning, when people are sighting their rifles, I always tell them, I, I can care less if you hit the black or not because what I need for them to do is to get a tight group. Once they've got a tight group, I can go down there with a measuring tape and then I can come back up to their rifle and get them on the target with, without them at all. What I can't do is get their group tight. But they got to have their group tight. That means not paying attention to whether it's hitting in the black or not, but making sure that their group is nice and tight. So we've been telling them this uh, all morning. When you get to the AQT, though, what you're going to tell them is is the opposite of that. And that is, if they are... If they're in a 
uh, if they're in a situation where they are uh, shooting the AQT or if they are out in the field shooting, if you're out in the field shooting and uh, you have your sights set uh, right uh, exactly where they should be on that uh, deer and you're executing a shot by the six depth and you know you're doing everything correctly and you fire and that round impacts low to the left of that deer, are you going to continue to fire the the remaining rounds in that rifle low and left? Absolutely not. Although I have I have seen people do this. But that's not what we want you to do. <clears throat> what we want you to do in the rifleman's dance is to observe the impact of the round. And then if you're shooting the AQT and you know that you have a good aim, natural point of aim and uh, you're executing the shot by the six steps and uh, maybe something has happened that you've that has caused the uh, rifle to get out of zero or uh or whatever it is maybe you've made maybe you've adjusted uh, uh your position and you're in a, a different position than uh, than you normally would be uh the way you should be uh whatever it is <clears throat> you're not going to sit there and fire every round low left what you're going to do is you're going to take the information that that uh, round gave you, and you're going to alter your sight picture in order to bring the impact of the rounds into the target. If you're out the field shooting, and uh, like I said, you fire that round, you see it hit uh, uh, about two feet low and a foot to the left uh, of that deer, then what are you going to do? You're going to change your sight picture to make a, a shift from your aiming point, you want that round to hit the, the, the you know, the center uh, of the deer. If the deer is, uh, is if you're looking at the deer and the deer is facing to the left, then uh, you're going to take that, uh, the aiming point, which is going to be uh, a little bit into uh, that right shoulder, center of your body, and just a tiny bit into that right shoulder, and then you're going to to pick an, an imaginary point that is going to be two feet to the right and a foot high. And that's for your next round. Or that's going to be the sight picture for your next round. And then you're going to observe the impact of that round, and uh, you'll use that data for your subsequent shots. That's what the rifleman's dance is. Like I said, you don't you certainly don't use this during sighting in. But if you are in the middle of a course of fire on the AQT or something like that, and you observe your round to to impact uh, somewhere other than the target, then you're not going to have time to to make a sight adjustment uh, to bring the round onto the target. You're going to have to to use a, a hold off from your target using the data that your last round gave you in order to finish that course of fire. That's the rifleman's dance. And uh, 
that can be used uh that can be used anytime other than if you're just teaching someone uh in the beginning of Saturday if you're teaching them uh, to just sight in their rifle or to make sight adjustments and we don't want to talk about this until after they've sighted in because I can't tell you how many times people have uh, have done that, how they've gotten there. I've gone to look at targets, and uh, and they've got their rounds into the black. And I say, that's great. You're doing a great job. And, uh, and then I find out, uh, you know, during some, some of these subsequent courses of fire, uh, when I tell them to aim at a certain place and they aim and they fire and their their shots are back where they were before, and I ask them, do you make a side adjustment? No, no. I said, well, where are you aiming? Right here where you told me, right here at the 6 o'clock on the bottom of the square, on the bottom of the silhouette. And, uh, and I said, well, did you, if you didn't make any side adjustments, I said, uh, how did this... Uh, how do we get to this position? What do you think caused this? And they said, well, uh, because on that last, uh, you know, on the, that last uh, one-inch square, I knew my rounds were striking like uh, an inch and a half low and an inch to the right, so I adjusted that by moving my sight picture up, uh, you know, an inch and a half uh, uh, to the left or right and, that, and an inch high. and So... So we don't want them to get the two things mixed up while they're doing their side ends and while they're getting while they're learning to get their group nice and tight. All right. So I don't even bring it up until we're getting ready to do the AQTs. By then, their rifles should be sighted in. Their groups should be brought down nice and tight. And then they just need to know that if something happens, if something occurs, well, where they know that they have a good position. Uh, good swing use. They're executing by the shot by the six steps. They've uh, determined their national point of aim and have shifted it on the target. They're doing all this correctly, and yet their rounds are impacting out of the target area. And you don't want them to sit there and fire all ten rounds low and left. You want them to make the adjustments, do the rifleman's dance, to move the sight picture until they can cause the rounds to impact into the target. And then uh, during uh, the next prep, you can talk to them about, they, you know, they can discuss what just happened with you. Maybe you'll need to make a side adjustment. Uh, uh, maybe you'll need to look at them and see if they've done uh, something that is causing their uh, their zero to be off. <clears throat> because uh, from Saturday morning until sometime in the Saturday evening usually, I mean, or Saturday afternoon, it's very normal for people's groups to be, uh, you know, somewhat of in somewhat of a migratory transitional uh, phase. That means that uh, uh, during the course of the day, uh, they could be shooting low and left and then center and then a little high center and a little high right, and that's without uh, adjusting their sights at all. You know, they can be firing what looks to you like a good group, and it'll look like that something is wrong with their sights because they'll have a good tight group, but it will just, it'll keep moving. 
but what this really is is you're teaching somebody to, in most cases, to shoot in a brand new fashion. That means that in every course of fire, they're they're usually trying something somewhat new. Uh, they're they're moving a little this way, they're moving that, or adjusting the sling like this, or they're moving their cheek weld. You know, they're doing something, uh, and they may be doing the the majority of the things that they're doing. They may be doing correctly, because their group may be nice and tight. But, like I said, they're learning a new position. They're learning a new way to shoot, and they're kind of changing things as they go along, and... As they're changing things, uh, they are moving the geographical location of their group, right? Uh, I got uh, somebody here, Floyd. Floyd says he thought the rifleman's dance was what the shooter did. After a hot two two three round went down the shirt collar, and he has in parentheses, always keeping the muzzle in a safe direction, of course. Well, listen, uh, this isn't a this isn't a bad thing to cover uh, during your safety briefing, right? Because I tell folks this uh, before I talk about the the Rossman dance. You know, I tell folks. Uh, that when they're when we're talking about always keep the muzzle in safe direction, always means always. That means if if you do get a hot round on you, or if you are about to fall down, no matter what it is, your first and main concern is where is your muscle. You know, just because you get a hot round down your neck, number one, you should be in the rifle with buzzable, right? So you shouldn't be. Nothing should get there. You shouldn't even feel it. But if you do not have the correct rifleman's bubble, you get a hot round down your shirt, you better not swing that rifle around while you're flailing trying to get it off you. Always keep the muzzle in a safe direction means just that, always. It means no matter what else is happening, that muzzle is in a safe direction. If you're getting ready to fall down, so be it. You fall, but when you fall, that muzzle better be in a safe direction. You better not ever try to swing that rifle around to counterbalance you from falling and have it sweep the line. Or if you get a hot round down your your shirt, you better not be flailing around with your rifle, with your hand on your rifle, and swinging that, sweeping the line. Always means always. All right, so... So you're going to talk about... The uh, the rifleman's dance after the folks uh, have uh, have started the rifles in. They've got their group down to a nice uh, a nice tight group, and uh, and you're getting ready to shoot the AQTs. And this goes for field shooting just as much as it goes for shooting on the 25-meter range or the 100, 200, 300, 400, whatever. The rifleman, in the rifleman's dance, you're going to observe the impact 
of the round you just fired downrange, and you're going to use that data in order to ensure that the next round is going to impact into the target. It means what do you have to do? Whatever you have to do. If the, if the uh, first round impacts uh, a little high to the right, then you're going to make your adjustment down to the low to the left in order to cause that round to impact into the target. Whatever you have to do, you're not going uh, to sit there and fire the remaining rounds uh, uh, high and right. Okay? You guys got that? Uh, now, if you have any questions or if uh, you want to add anything to this, you can call in at 347-308-8790. And we'll be glad to get you on the air. <coughs> All right. <clears throat> Now let's talk about uh, about history. Let's talk about telling the story. In order for you to become a full instructor, you have to be uh, you, you don't have to be comfortable with telling the story. Uh, but you need to be uh you need to be able to do it uh, and how do you get to there how do you how do you figure out how you're gonna tell your story now there are plenty of uh uh plenty of locations on the forum i say locations there's uh, i don't know if there's a lot of locations but there's plenty of examples uh of folks telling their stories on the forum i believe uh, and here is my suggestion of how you do it. First of all, uh, number one, you have to be comfortable with the material. And in order for you to be comfortable uh, with the material, you have to know it, all right? That means that uh, you need to read uh, and understand the events of April 19, 1775. Uh, some of the some of the history leading into it. Some of the things which uh, caused the the events of that day to occur. You have to know who the players are, what they did, where they did it, and why they did it and what they hope to accomplish. And the only way you're going to get that is by reading the history, becoming familiar with it, and be becoming knowledgeable enough on it that that the actual uh that talking about the material uh doesn't put you on the spot. The only way to do that is to be knowledgeable about it, right? And uh, the only way you're going to be knowledgeable about it is to read about it. Now, there was a lot of good books on this. Uh, as you know, the, the best book, and I've yet to find a better one, 
is uh, Paul Revere's Ride by David Hackett Fisher. And uh, we had him on the show uh, as a guest twice, and I'm going to I'm going to talk to him again and and see about having him come back on and talk about uh, Paul Revere's Ride again. Uh, for the folks who who didn't hear it whenever he first came on, and uh, and I've learned finally to be a, a better interviewer, so I think I can do a better job this time and get him to talk about Paul Revere's ride again. <clears throat> but David Hackett Fisher uh, has written the, uh, the the best and most accurate book that there is, and it's not only a very accurate book that covers the events of April 19th, uh, 1775 in detail, it's really well written, which makes reading it uh, much easier than than what you get a lot of times when you're reading uh, a historical book of, of facts. He's made this story come alive, which makes it much easier for you to read. And during the the reading of this, during the reading of Paul Revere's ride and any of the rest of the the stories that uh, you read about the events of that day, what you need to do uh, as a storyteller is to pick a trail through the information because there's uh, your the amount of information you get is going to be uh you know like a mile wide and 20 miles long now you can't change the uh the distance from you uh to the uh, to your destination it's going to be 20 miles, right? But you can choose the trail that you use to take you through uh, that mile-wide section, right? You can go down one fence line uh, to the north or one fence side to the south, or you can weave back and forth through it uh, using the parts of the information that resonate with you. That's the best way to do it that you tell your story, uh, once you've read the information, you you find out the parts that 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 cause you to be passionate, uh, that cause you to be uh, to be passionate about the way that you're telling the story. All right. And this is very important because if 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 you're not telling the story in a way that shows that it's, that it's important to you, then why in the world would it be important to the people that are listening? And the answer is it won't be. They'll drift off. They'll dig in their lunch sacks. They'll scratch their heads and yawn because it's not important to them, because it's not important to you. When you tell the story, you need to 
you need to to parse it up and tell it from the from the part of the story down the trail that you're taking through the story that is important to you and each section of the this of the three strikes uh you can tell it from uh, in in a lot of different ways uh folks folks who have families can tell the story of Isaac Davis uh as and they can use that as as part of their trail that they're going down while they're telling the three strikes and i can I can tell you right now that very few of the instructors that I've watched who've had families who are telling the story, the beginning part of the story, uh, from the perspective of Isaac Davis, uh, very few of them can get through the story very easily. Because if you're telling it correctly, uh, if you're feeling, if you're if you're putting the passion in the story and you're telling it correctly from your heart, when you get to the part of Isaac Davis getting ready to leave his wife and and how from the discussion of it, the history that that apparently appeared that both of them knew uh, that that this might be that he might not come back. And when he tells her to take care of the children for him, uh, it's very hard for a lot of the instructors to to get through that that part of the story, uh, you know, without uh, having somewhat of a glitch, uh, you know, a bit of a a tick in their throat or their eyes watering. And this is perfectly normal. And uh, and it should happen, all right? It should happen. If you're telling the story with passion and you get to that point and it doesn't uh, do something to you, then then uh, I don't know if you're if you're telling it right, all right? Uh, and like I said, it's okay to get uh, choked up. I don't know if you need to be. Uh, to be sobbing during this part of probably a little bit uh, too much passion. But it's all right to get choked up during this part because it means something to you. And if it means something to you, it's usually going to get, it's usually going to mean something to them. And that's the whole point of telling the story is, is to get a stir in the hearts of the people that you're telling it to. Uh, I see in the chat they're talking about uh, about the best joke to tell during the three strikes, and I know that uh, the person that's saying this is uh, I know what they're trying to say, and I understand it, but I, I do want to caution folks about uh, and I've seen uh, some instructors do this, about telling the uh, the three strikes uh, uh, in a like in a humorous way, like in, in always trying to get 
a laugh out of folks, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, with having humorous parts of the story be humorous, but I, I would just caution you against, uh, against making the whole story humorous because, because it's not. And, uh, and, uh, it, I think that it gives people the wrong idea. Now, now, let me say first, I'm not the person that said this. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, criticizing what you're saying or what you wrote. I'm just saying that uh, I have seen folks, uh, and I think it was just because they felt uncomfortable with the material. I've seen folks try and get a laugh out of the uh, the folks uh, during the whole story, trying to make the story one big, long, humorous story. Because that's how they felt. Uh, that's how they felt the most comfortable doing it. But what I encourage you guys to do is to read through the story. And when I say the things that resonate in you, I'm talking about uh, there's so much information in the story. You can't tell it all, but you can you can pick out the parts that really stir you uh, and really make you feel the emotion that really make you uh, become passionate in the telling of it. And, uh, and like I said, the, uh, the Isaac Davis story is great for that. Uh, whenever the, uh, the folks are talking about uh, some of the dangerous old men stories, that's, that's certainly another good part. Now there are, uh, there are some humorous, Incidents in the story, you know, in the the uh, in the second strike, uh, when you're talking about how the the young men, uh, you know, had decided that if they weren't going to wait, they were going to go out and they were going to meet this force head on face to face, and they were going to show them what's what, and then they see the might of the British regular forces coming at them, and they see the uh, this long endless column of troops marching with precision and with their polished bayonets and their polished muskets. And they decided that, uh, that the other guys had the best idea, which was to, uh, to fight from town. And certainly that could be told in a humorous way because it is somewhat humorous. You know, these guys got went out there and, and, uh, they were going to show, they were going to show the, the British regulars a thing or two, and then when they saw them, they said, "Aha! I think that I think the guys, uh, the guys, uh, those guys have a better idea, and that's uh, let's uh, let's go back in town." So that is a bit humorous there, and and uh, most of us, most of especially guys, can relate to that because when you are uh, in your youth, when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, a lot of times you feel invincible. And uh, you know it's that courage uh, that a lot of people get when uh, when <laughs> when they've never had a serious tiny weapon, you know, and they feel invincible. Uh, but there are many places uh, in the information that you can pull sections out and use that section of the story in order to tell the story and to tell it in a passionate way. <clears throat> Now, 
when you have your new IITs, and uh, usually doing an IBC or an RBC, uh, I started off on day one with uh, with uh, one of the instructors, myself or one of the instructors, uh, telling a section of the story, and then having the uh, the new IITs or the, the the boots, the new boots there. I have them get up and they tell it. Uh, they immediately after they have the the instructor or myself tells the first strike. I'll have one of the guys get up and then tell their version of the first strike. Now, what I'm looking for is not for them to be able to uh, instantly and accurately uh, to be able to repeat the story verbatim or anything like that. What I'm trying to get them to do is to get used to getting up and standing in front uh, of their peers and telling the story. Because a lot of people, a lot of folks, uh, they haven't done any public speaking. And uh, I remember the first couple of times that uh, I did it. Uh, I was very, very uh, uh, uncomfortable. But that's a way that you can get them to start breaking the ice and 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 becoming more comfortable with telling the story. And that's right, getting right then and there on day one, getting up and telling uh, parts of the story. And then I'll have uh, I'll have them uh, I'll have each one of them doing a, a you know a part of the story uh, almost every day of the RBC because uh, by the end of it I want them to be comfortable enough that they can get up and they can do. Uh, the condensed version of each of the stories by the time they do with the uh, RBC. And the only way that you can ever really uh, become comfortable with it is to do it. Now, you can explain to them, and I tell the, the new IITs, I go, look, whenever you're telling the story, you just, you need to understand that the audience, the people that are listening, they want you to do well. They want you to succeed. They want you to to tell a good story, and they want to be able to uh, to congratulate you on it. So right off the bat, you've got a big plus, and that is that these people are not the literary critics, and they're not historians that are sitting in some type of a, a board situation where you're going before the board and you're being judged on your ability to tell a historical story. Uh, the, a great number of the folks uh, who are sitting there are, are pretty much ignorant of, of most of the events of that day. So uh, if, the, if you make a mistake in a detail of the story, uh, if you don't get a name correct or something like that there, uh, I, I tell them not to worry about it, and I don't worry about it when they're telling it, uh, and especially if they're telling it uh, uh, at an event. I never break in, and I encourage the rest of you guys not to, I never break in to correct them. <clears throat> now, they may ask, and they'll say, uh, and I believe, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy in charge of uh, the truth at this point, and they ask, and then certainly you can answer them and you can help them along with it. But if they just say something incorrectly, some person, if they say uh, 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 Colonel Barrett, uh, or if they say 
Captain Davis and you know, and misplace one or the other, I never break in to correct them because uh I'll tell them afterwards. I'm gonna make sure that you you know, that you remember who did what. But I don't correct them uh while they're doing it because that will usually just uh throw a wrench into their story. And I can almost guarantee you that the people listening, uh, unless you make a really big gap that uh like saying uh, uh, Washington was the uh, commander of the British regulars uh, in Boston. Uh, unless you said something like that, nobody's going to notice it. And uh, usually 90% of the folks listening when you tell the story, even if you did say that, they're not going to know that it's wrong unless you say it was wrong. You understand what I'm saying? So... If you do make a, uh, if you do say something incorrect, don't sweat it. Uh, just uh, make a note to yourself to make the correction before you tell the story the next time. And the the folks that are listening, the instructors that are listening, you know, make sure that you make a note to to tell him that uh, uh, some of his information information was correct. Don't do it uh, while he's telling the story. Don't break in and uh, and try and correct them because that's. It's usually not that great of an idea for two reasons. One, it, uh, it will bust up uh, the uh, the person telling you. It will bust up their rhythm and may jack with their the con- their confidence in their self or their ability to tell the story. And two, uh, it uh, you know it damages uh, the uh, it damages the credibility of the person telling the story to the attendees. Uh, you know, if you publicly correct them. So uh, unless it's some major thing or unless they ask for it, try not to correct them during the story. Just let it go, all right? Like I said, nobody's going to uh, nobody's going to say anything. And if they do, if somebody comes up to you afterward and say, uh, hey, uh, you know, when he said it was, uh, uh, you know, Captain Davis uh, doing this or this, uh, you know, it was supposed to be so-and-so, he just told him, yeah, you're right, you're right. And I spoke to him about it, and he, he realized that he had accidentally, you know, misplaced it too or whatever. Uh, that's the way that you'll handle that. <clears throat> the uh, the length of your stories. Try and keep your stories uh, down in the 12 to 15-minute Range now you can you can run over a bit. Uh, sometimes if we're doing uh, if we're doing stage one and two uh, or uh, strike one and two during lunch, then then you can you can spread it out so that you have a good uh, hour for lunch. But try not to make the stories the actual stories that you're, that you're telling. Try not to make them run more than. Uh, uh, if it's during lunchtime, try not to make it run more than 20 minutes because you want to tell the story in a good, uh, in a passionate, uh, and enough detail there to go through uh, 15 to 20 minutes. And then you can have a short break while you're talking about uh, something else, and then you can tell the next story in 15 to 20 minutes. And... Uh, then you can give a quick briefing of what's going to go on after lunch. That's just if you're telling the strike one and two during lunchtime. If you go any longer, I'm telling you, uh, it doesn't do any good. Uh, and 
and the person and, and the person is telling you this me uh who's been known to run uh forty five minutes for uh, for a strike because i've I've always felt that uh, that one that they just need this one last one more piece of information to to make it they they're not gonna understand it if i don't if I don't add in this one extra bit of information and uh <laughs> and I'm telling you that uh, folks' minds their ability to receive and store information uh, is not infinite. Matter of fact, it's very finite. Uh, they have the enough uh, enough space to gather in about ten minutes or so of the story before they've got to take a break. Uh, any more than that, and and what you end up doing is like force-feeding, like you're shoving all this information into them. And it's like trying to, you know, put a 30-pound of groceries in a 15-pound sack. It's only they're doing, you'll end up poking and tearing a hole in the bottom, and the rest of it will just, just be dropping out as you're shoving it in from the top. And there's no need for that, because I can tell you right now, I've told the story, uh, who knows how many times? I couldn't say. I think I'm running up on almost 100 events now. And I can tell you that uh, even asking the folks immediately afterwards, like right after you get through the story, and asking them, uh, uh, "Do you know who the uh, uh, do you name of the name of the uh, of the person whose farm they were searching? Do you remember what their person's name is? Nope." Uh, do you remember the uh, the name of the uh, the British regular lieutenant uh, who turned the troops off into uh, onto the road to Lexington Green? Do you remember his name? Nope. So so they're not going to get it. So what you need to do is make sure that. What you're telling them, the story that you're telling them is a passionate one. The more passionate it is, the shorter and clearer and sharper it is, the better they're going to get it. The more dry details you add in and that you start droning along in, the faster you're going to lose them. The minute you start uh, adding in details in a monotone voice, then you can kiss them goodbye and uh, you'll hear... Uh, their paper bags rattling and them shifting and uh, their heads dropping forward or they're repositioning themselves to lay on the ground. So short, sharp, and clear. Uh, I've had, uh, I've had folks, uh, really good instructors, really very knowledgeable and, uh, I remember one uh, one of the guys. I'm not going to say his name, but uh, and he's a great instructor and very very knowledgeable about uh, his history. But I remember early on, him coming up to me and said, "Hey, do you mind if I use my notes to uh, to tell the story of the first strike?" I said, "I guess I don't mind." It was one of his 
one of his early on ones. I said, let me see your notes. And uh, he had a thick sheaf of papers. And I go, oh, man. I go, that's a lot of notes. I said, all right. I said, just pick the pick the, uh, the high points on each page and run it by. Well, he didn't. He had And he had 20 pages. And what he didn't tell me was he had 20 pages front and back. There's 40 pages. And uh, I see the chat. One of the guys was talking about when it starts with uh, Queen Anne's War. <clears throat> this is uh, this even started back before that. I'm not sure if it started with uh, uh, the discovery of fire, but it was real close. And uh, and it was, and it's no good. Like I said, it's no good because long before you get to uh, the folks gathering on Lexington Green. They're gone. They're gone, and the rest of it is is no good. And we don't want that. We don't. We're not going to test them on this afterwards. What we are trying to do is we're trying to stir uh, a passion in their hearts, right? You're trying to stir a passion in their hearts and ignite a fire and and get them to understand that our American history is a is a very action-packed, uh, it's, uh, it's a very exciting adventure full of, uh, of heroes and handsome men and beautiful women and romance and danger and adventure, and that's how you're going to tell the story. If you do it any other way, uh, it's not going to work. All right, and I can see I've been reading from the chat, and they're saying, "Yeah, it's it's hard to get it down to 20 minutes," and it is hard. It is very hard to get it down to 20 minutes, and the way you do it is not by talking fast, because I've seen some guys uh, that have their 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 auctioneer uh, three strikes, which is they're 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 determined to get the. Uh, to get the 45 minutes of material into that 20-minute sack. And uh, and the way they're going to do it is by talking fast. That does no good either, all right? <clears throat> like I said, look through your material. Uh, in, uh, in each of the strikes, pick uh, five or six points that get you from point A to point uh, B. Find five or six points that uh, connect, that uh, will let you travel that distance and that you're very passionate about. And then make it exciting. Make it a, uh, you know, a thriller, an adventure. Uh, I've always thought that, uh, you know, a good storyteller should be, it should be just a, a few clicks down below like a Barnum and Bailey story, you know, it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be, uh, smoke and oakum, but it should be a thriller. It should be an adventure. It should be passionate. The, the absolute best finish is when you finish and people cheer and they clap and they stand up and they clap. And that's how you should finish your stories. It should be exciting. Uh, and adventure, and you should tell it with passion. And it doesn't have to have every bit of information in it. It doesn't have to have every detail. 
It just needs to have enough information to get you from point A to point B. And you should pick the sections of it that you feel uh, an affinity for and that you know that you can uh, that you can tell with passion. And once you have blazed that trail through the information and you know that information, then you become you become much more comfortable in the telling of it. All right? And then there's the rehearsal of it. Uh, I would do it at all different times during the day. I would, when I was shaving, I would do it uh, because then I could see my face. I could see the uh, uh, the facial expressions I was using. Anytime I was on a long drive, I would tell the story. And I'm sure that the people, I purposely wouldn't look at them because I know I look like a freak. But I'm sure that the people that were beside me were thinking that uh, that I was a few screws uh, short because I'm telling the story passionately while I'm driving. And, uh, and I can speak as loud as I want. I can make the gestures. I can make the facial expressions. I can do whatever I need to while I'm driving, and uh, and I rehearse telling the story. It's no different than if you were uh, if you're going to give a speech, right? Uh, or if uh, if you were going to play a part in a uh, in a stage uh, in a piece of stage work, you rehearse your piece. You rehearse telling the story. You rehearse it so that. <clears throat> that you'll know what you're going to say. Uh, you could even write it out if you wanted to, just like a speech. You could write it out, and then you could read it and time yourself. And uh, and once you've got the information that you want and you've got it down to, to 15 minutes or so, then you just keep running that. You keep rehearsing it, and uh, you figure out where to take your pauses and, and you know, where to pause for dramatic effect or... Uh, or where to let your voice uh, rise to a loud level, uh, or where to scream if you need to. Uh, it's no different than any other type of presentation you're going to give that you're going that you would give if you were making a speech or if you're doing a play, and that's the way you need to treat it, and that's the way it needs to be viewed by you is as a performance, because it, it's. It's not a history class. If you make it to a history class, then you're 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 ruining it. Like I said, you need to look at it that where at the end of it, what you're looking for is for the people to stand up and clap their hands and yell "Bravo, Bravo," because that's what we're trying to achieve: is to stir some emotion in the hearts of the people listening. All right, uh, we've run out of time. And I want to thank the folks that uh, called in. I want to thank Kirk, and uh, uh, I'd like to thank everybody else that tuned in uh, in the chat room, all the folks that listen. Uh, be sure and tune in this uh, next uh, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central. We'll have part seven of Making the Shot. Until then, take care. God bless uh, everyone. We'll see you next Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Central.
Standing up for your rights only 